if we can make our way back to our seats, we'll go ahead and uh, we'll, we'll get into the message. But again, we just appreciate everybody that's here this morning. I know school is out and we got some folks that are already gone on vacation and I can't blame them. And uh, we have others that, uh, which the graduation was last night, that they're uh, celebrating today as well. But if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to turn over to the book of Ezekiel chapter number 47. We've been doing a series on the, on the Holy Spirit, and it cannot be overemphasized enough the importance of having a real relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to make a bold statement here, but I believe with all of my heart it's 100% correct. The Holy Spirit is the most important person on the face of the earth. The Holy Spirit is the most important person on the face of the earth because Jesus is no longer on earth. He is at the right hand of the Father and he sent the Holy Spirit who is the Spirit of Jesus and his Spirit is walking and moving on the earth today and he's walking and moving in this place this morning. But if we do not have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, what happens is we tend to ignore, and of course Clay's been talking about this, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, we can resist the Holy Spirit, we can quench the Holy Spirit, we can offend the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person with a personality. And, and the reason that we say things like, I feel his presence in this place is because he is a person. A presence is not a person. The presence that you experience is the reality of the person who is in the room. You hear things like, it was an honor just to be in their presence. Or when, when they spoke, you could just, you could sense something, that there was something different about them, that they carried a, a presence with them. And, and, and you can't have a presence if you are absent. Let me say that again. You can't have a presence if you do not have, or if you are absent. And so when you feel the presence of God, it is just uh, the reflection of the reality of the Holy Spirit is in the room. So he is in the room. Now, here's what happens oftentimes. So often, we have an experience with the Holy Spirit that we don't fully understand. God doesn't want us to have an experience that we don't understand. He wants us to fully understand what we experience. Because you can have an experience with the Holy Spirit, but not know who the Holy Spirit actually is as a person. And when you fail to know who the Holy Spirit is as a person, ultimately an experience without understanding leads to confusion and misrepresentation. Let me say that again. Are you with me? An experience without understanding leads to confusion and misunderstanding. And if there's one thing that the church probably globally has done more to create misunderstanding of than anything else, that is the way that we represent the person of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, it's easy to identify somebody who has had the experience or an experience with the Holy Spirit but not know who the person of the Holy Spirit is because they will always refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. And it isn't a person and it is a thing. Are you with me? And it isn't, what if, what if somebody referred to it as you? Wouldn't that be offensive? You know, and so when, when you refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, it's a reflection, number one, that you've had an experience with the Holy Spirit. You, you, you recognize that, that you felt his presence, but you don't really know who he is. And so when you come into the presence of the Holy Spirit, realize that the Holy Spirit isn't an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit over and over and over as he. He will be with you. He will dwell in you. He will lead you. He will guide you. He, he, he will intercede for you. He will, he will navigate you. He will show you things in the future. He, he will bring to your remembrance. He, 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 he. That is a personal pronoun. Because we're speaking about a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Say that with me. Say the Holy Spirit. Say it better than that. The Holy Spirit is a person. And listen, he's not just a person. He is the most important person on the face of the earth today. So if we fail to go into a, a deeper understanding of who the Holy Spirit is... We will misrepresent and misunderstand who the Holy Spirit is. And oftentimes the Holy Spirit gets a bad rap for something that's nothing more than a misunderstanding that we created because we think that he is a feeling and an emotion and not a person. Are you with me? Ezekiel chapter 47, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. And I want to talk about the river of God. The river of God, verse 47, verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. This is a vision that he had. And there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the front of the temple faced east, and the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple. Now notice where it was flowing from south of the altar. He brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east. And there was water running out of the right side. And when the man went out to the east, notice what he has in his hand. He has a line in his hand and he measures 1,000 cubits. Now, uh, 1,000 cubits, basically about 1,500 feet. He's, he's measuring something. Now, there's a reason why he's measuring, and I'll, I'll talk about that just in a moment. But he measures 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters, and notice the water level here. The water came up to my ankles. The first measurement was ankle-deep water. Then he goes on to say, and he measured another 1,000 and brought me through the water, and the water came up to my Knees, And again, he measured another thousand and brought me through the water and it came up to my waist. And again, he measured another thousand and it was a river that could not cross for the water was too deep water in which one must swim a river that could not be crossed. And he said to me, son of man, 
Have you seen this? And then he brought me and returned to me back to the bank of the river. Then I returned there along the bank of the river, and there were very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley, and then it enters into the sea. When it reaches the sea, notice the effect of the water. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed, and it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the river goes, it shall live. Wherever the river goes, life follows. And so what we see here in, in this particular uh, text is that Ezekiel is having a vision. He's having a vision of the river of God. And while he's viewing this, he's seeing this in his spirit, he notices a man who takes a measuring stick, a line in his hand, and what he does is he begins to measure 1,500 feet at a time. And after he measures 1,500 feet, he, he checks the water level. And the first 1,500 feet he comes, he stands in water, and the water is only to his ankles. He measures another 1,500 feet. He measures the water level again. The water level has risen, and now it is up to his knees. Then he measures another 1,500 feet, and he measures the water level again. Water level is at his waist. Then he goes another 1,500 feet, and the water level is so high that he can't touch the bottom. It's so deep that you had to swim across it. He's no longer walking in the water. Because see, what happens is when you get in the river, first thing that happens is that you get in the river, the next thing that happens, if you go far enough, the river begins to get in you. Now, that, that's the difference, and that, that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. What this vision teaches us, it teaches us, number one, that there's more of God, that there are, that there are higher heights, that there are greater experiences, that there are deeper levels, deeper waters in our experience with God that we have not yet tapped into. But he also teaches us that once we get into the river, if we allow the river to flow, everywhere the river begins to flow, things come back to life. That, that, that's the way that God wants the church to operate. If the Holy Spirit is flowing in our life, what will happen is we will go from faith to faith and glory to glory. We will go from one experience to a greater experience to a greater experience to a greater experience to a point to where we think that we can comprehend who God really is only to find out that God is unsearchable. And we will stand amazed at God. Now, it's impossible to talk about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to live a Christian life without the activity and the involvement of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 261 times in the New Testament alone. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just want us to know that he exists. 
that theologically we know that there is a Holy Spirit, but he wants us to know that he is actively involved in our lives. Did you know the Holy Spirit was actively involved in your life even before you became a Christian? As a matter of fact, you could not have even become a Christian had not the Holy Spirit been working on you. The Bible says no man comes to the Father unless what? The Spirit draws him. So the Holy Spirit is working. He is actively involved. He's engaged in the details. The problem is most of us miss out on the activity and the involvement of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis because we don't even acknowledge that he is with us. Listen, the Holy Spirit is not just with you. The Holy Spirit is for you. And he's not just for you. The Holy Spirit is in you. And once you start to acknowledge that he is at work and he's with you and for you and in you, you will start to experience a greater measure of the Holy Spirit's work and action in your life. But if you ignore the Holy Spirit, he will grieve the Holy Spirit. If you neglect the Holy Spirit, if you take the Holy Spirit for granted, now how many of us, we're, we're, we're guilty of taking things for granted? Listen, we can, we can very easily take the work of the Holy Spirit for granted when we ignore, when we neglect, when we fail to acknowledge that he is at work. The Holy Spirit is your, is your partner. The Holy Spirit is your internal navigation system. He leads and guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit is your counselor. Jesus said that he was your helper. What does he help us do? He helps us do everything. In the Old Testament, it says it's not by might or by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord. Listen, apart from the Holy Spirit, we can do absolutely nothing, but yet we never even talk to him on a regular basis. And God say, listen, if you just start to acknowledge me a little bit more, I can become even more active in your life. Why, why is that true? Because we have not, because we ask not. Listen, I want to wake up and I say, Holy Spirit, smile through me. Wave through me. Hug somebody's neck through me. Give me wisdom. Listen, I, I sit down, I talk to a lot of people. I spend a lot of time counseling. And you know what? They don't need more of me. They need more of God. And the only way that there can be more of God is that if I decrease so that he can increase. And he can't increase if I live my life totally and completely centered around myself. The Holy Spirit is not a selfish spirit. The Holy Spirit is a generous spirit. Now, it's important because many people view or see the Holy Spirit as this unseen force, as this impersonal power, as this emotional expression, but they don't ever really look at him in the reality of who he is as a person. The Holy Spirit desires for you to know him in a personal way. He desires for you to allow him to be more real in your life than he is right now. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but a lot of people have had an experience with the Holy Spirit without ever really understanding who he is. 
And when you have an experience with the Holy Spirit without an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, what happens is it leads to confusion and misrepresentation. Now, why is that important? Because it matters how you represent God. The Holy Spirit is not just a person. The Holy Spirit is God. God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But if you don't know who he is, you will ultimately misrepresent who he is and cause other people to be turned off from the very God that they need in order to be saved. So it's important that we don't, he wants us to know. And not just that, if we have an experience without understanding, the reality is over the long term, that experience we've had with the Holy Spirit will ultimately have little to no uh, long-term effect in our life because we will, we will summarize everything up as if the Holy Spirit was just that experience or the Holy Spirit was just that feeling or the Holy Spirit was just that Goosebump, or that do that, or that, or that speaking in tongues, or that running, or that shouting. Listen, if 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 the only thing you know about the Holy Spirit is shouting and running and speaking in tongues, you don't know who the Holy Spirit is. And if the only time you do those things are when you're in church, then it's probably more you than it is the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is involved in your life every single day. You don't have to work the Holy Spirit up. The Holy Spirit is already here. He is in you. The Bible says he will abide in you. He will dwell in you. You are God's tabernacle. Now, that's important to know. The Apostle Paul, he said it like this. He said, I know in whom I have believed. What he's saying is this. I have got something so much more and so much greater than just an experience. I got a relationship. I know that word no means intimacy. He says, I intimately know the one I believe in. He lives inside me. The Holy Spirit desires for you to intimately know him and become aware of his presence, not just in your life, but how he wants to flow and move through your life. Now, that's important. So the vision that we just read about in, in chapter 47 of the book of Ezekiel is a vision of the river of God. Now there's three specific things that this vision teaches us about how the Holy Spirit desires to move in our lives. Now we have no internet access here. Glory to God. That's all I'm going to say about that. About backslid three times. I may be in bondage to the internet. But we can't print anything out because we have no internet. Pray for me. So you don't have an outline. But we do have PowerPoint. So I want to encourage you to write some of these things down. Three specific things that this particular vision teaches us about the Holy Spirit and how it desires to move in our life. The first thing I want you to consider, number one, is the source of the river. The first thing I want you to see, and we find this in verse 1, the first thing I want you to see is the source of the river. Where does the source of the river come from? Verse 1 says, Then he brought me back to the door of the what? Temple. And there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple south of the altar. The first time the prophet sees the river flowing, where is it flowing from? It is flowing 
out of the temple from the altar. Listen, the river always begins to flow from the altar. This is the first time that he sees it. And here's what I want you to, uh, I want to point out to you. The pathway to greater experiences with God always begin at the altar. If you want to have a greater relationship with God, you need an altar. If you want to experience more of God, you have to have an altar. If you want the Holy Spirit to flow in and through your life in a greater measure, you have to have an altar. An altar is critically important in the first time that he sees the river flowing. It's coming out of the altar. Now, now what is an altar? An altar is a place where you meet with God. An altar is a place where you seek God. An altar is a place of sacrifice. An altar is a place of surrender. An altar is a place of humility. An altar is a place of brokenness. An altar is a place where things have been put to death. And many of you need to put to death your religious, your, your, your religious prejudice concerning the Holy Spirit or you will never experience more of the Holy Spirit because he desires to reveal himself to you but, but your religious filter will not allow him to show you who he really is. And you can go from one extreme to, to the other. Now, the altar is a place where you meet with God, where you seek God, a place of sacrifice, a place of surrender. If you want the river to flow in your life, you have to build, listen to me, a personal altar. And the reason that's important is because nobody can seek God for you. Nobody can have a relationship with God for you. God doesn't have any grandchildren. You have to learn how to seek God for yourself. You have to learn how to humble yourself. You learn, have to learn how to be obedient to God. You have to learn how to, to sacrifice. You have to learn how to surrender. Listen, the Christian life is like this. There's a moment where you surrender everything to God. And then from that day forward, there's a moment-by-moment moment surrendering of your life every single day. It's not a one-time thing. It's something that you do over and over and over and over again. That's why you have to build an altar. The Bible says that we are to be living sacrifices. Paul urges us. He said, listen. He said, I, I, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Where do sacrifices go? They go on the altar. He said, offer yourself on the altar of God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is just the reasonable thing that you should do. When, when, when you consider all that the Lord has done for you, the reasonable thing for you to do is to give your life as, as an offering, as a living sacrifice on the altar of God. The problem is this. In the Old Testament, God required a dead sacrifice. A dead sacrifice will always remain there. The problem with the living sacrifice is the living sacrifice will get up off the altar and move on. Therefore, Paul says you have to go back and 
offer yourself as a living sacrifice. But if you want the river to flow in your life, you have to build a personal altar. Now listen to this. Ezekiel 47 is an Old Testament example that has a New Testament application. Now, now how does this speak to us as New Testament believers, and what does it say to us about how the Holy Spirit wants to operate? See, listen, in the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. In the New Testament, God has a people for his temple. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, uh, 6, verse 19, it says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit lives in you? Listen, in the Old Testament, it lived in the building. In the New Testament, it lives in your heart. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. In the New Testament, he has a people for his temple. You are that temple today. And the Holy Spirit lives in you. So therefore, you are to create and make your own altar. Now, this applies to us in John chapter 7. This is what Jesus is talking about. What are we talking about? The river of God, right? Now, turn over to, or go ahead and flip over to the next slide. This is Jesus speaking here. He says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of your innermost being shall flow what? A river. Same river that we're talking about in Ezekiel 47. Same, same type of illustration we see here. Same application, except it's now inside of a person. The river flows inside of you. He says this. He said, if you thirst, in other words, if you want more of God, you've got to be thirsty. Blessed are those that hunger, and for, for they shall be what? Filled. Here's the truth. You've got as much of God in your life as you want. You've got as much of God in your life as you want. Because listen, if you want more of God, then you have to create a greater appetite for more of God. And Jesus said this, when you want more of God... He said, there will be a river of living water that is flowing out of you. Do you see this? Where in the Old Testament did the source of the river begin? In the temple from the altar. We know that in the New Testament, you're the temple. Your heart is the altar. And the river is supposed to flow from your innermost being. Your innermost being is your heart. And he said, out of your innermost being, rivers of living water shall flow. Now notice what he says. Who's he talking about here? But this he spake concerning who? Are you getting this? Are you tying? Listen, the source lives in you. The source is not way out there somewhere. The source is not a good song that gets your emotions moving. The source is, is not good preaching that, that gets you fired up. The source is not being in a good church service where everybody's praising God. The source is in you. And listen, if the river's not flowing, then something has got it stopped up on the inside of you because the Holy Spirit desires to flow like a river out of your innermost being. 
Are you with me? The source is already on the inside of you. Here's the second thing I want to share with you. Second thing that I see in the story is the course of the river. Say this with me. The, the source of the river? The course of the river. The source of the river? The course of the river. Where was the source? It was coming out of the temple from the altar. If you want the Holy Spirit to flow in a greater measure in your life, then you have to build a personal altar. Now notice the course of the river here in verses 3 and 4. It says, and then there was a man that had a line in his hand that went eastward and he measured a thousand cubits. He brought me through the water and the water was what? Ankle deep. Measured another thousand, it was knee deep. He measured another thousand and it was waist deep. Now listen, why did the man that Ezekiel saw have a line in his hand and why did he measure 1,500 increments and what does that have to teach us about the Holy Spirit? It teaches us two things. Number one, God wants us to understand what we're experiencing. The reason he measured is because you can't improve what you don't evaluate. You can't just assume that you're going to wake up this time next year loving God more. You just can't assume that you're going to wake up because you come to church every Sunday morning and you're going to be more on fire for Jesus a year from now than you are this year. Listen, you can get saved by grace and paralyzed by it at the same time. As a matter of fact, what I've noticed in church is that it's rare to find somebody that comes to an altar, gives their life to Jesus, who is now on fire for Jesus, that is still on fire for Jesus five years from now. Why is it? They found him at an altar, but they refused to come back to an altar again. Maybe the altar they went to was to a false god. Hello? Because if you found him the altar... And God forbid he calls you to come to the altar and you're more concerned about what somebody else thinks about than being obedient to the Holy Spirit. Something's wrong here. But he has a measuring line. He's measuring. He wants us to understand what we're experiencing. The other thing is this. When you see that the water level rises at each measurement, what that is teaching us is that, that God has so much more of the Holy Spirit that he desires for us to experience. But the only way to experience more to God is to progress deeper in the river. Let me ask you a question. Are you even in the river? Again, the first three levels, the ankles, the knees, the waist, guess what? You're in the river. But you know what? You're not done there. You know, when you go to hotels, they have a kiddie pool. You know what a kiddie pool is, right? Kiddie pool is where the children go in and the water's just up to the ankles. And what do they do? Woo! We got a lot of church, uh, church folk that all they want to do is stay in the kiddie pool and splash and have a lot of fun, but they don't want to get in the flow. Kind of reminds me of a lot of church services. 
If all we've got is a bunch of splashing without really truly getting wet, it's because we're children and not grown-ups. There comes a time when we have to mature to the place because here's the thing. Jesus said the purpose of the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be what? Witnesses. If you shout and you don't witness, it's because you're childish and you need to go deeper in the river. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying shame on you for doing that. But if you have been in the kiddie pool for 20 years, I'm saying shame on you. You need to go deeper. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to go deeper. Because, listen, there's greater things than just splashing in the kiddie pool. There's greater things that God has prepared for you, but they are deeper and it requires you to go farther. Okay? And this is what we're seeing here. Each measurement shows us that, you know what, this is good, but there's better on the way. I mean, that should excite you that the best is still yet to come. And that even though you're thankful for what you've experienced, God has so much more in store for you if you will pursue him. Listen, you only qualify for what you pursue. Now, there's three levels that are mentioned here in these two verses. And each level teaches us something very important about our relationship with the Holy Spirit, how he desires to flow in our life. Let's look at these really quickly. The first level is what I call ankle-deep water. What? He measured a 1,000 cubits, right? And the water was how far? Now, what does ankle-deep water represent? Ankle-deep water represents learning how to walk in the Spirit. Now, how does a man or a woman walk in the Spirit? Do they float around like this? Stand up here going, I mean, is that, is that walking in the Spirit? Well, how do you walk in the Spirit? Guess what? One step at a time. You know, you can walk in ankle-deep water. Can't swim in it. Right? Now, here's what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse number 16. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if you take that verse and you, you reverse it around, you're able to see the definition of walking in the Spirit. When a person learns to walk in the Spirit, they are empowered by the Holy Spirit to crucify the flesh, to resist temptation, and to die to themselves. If you're still living a selfish life, it's because you've not got past ankle-deep water yet. I don't even need one kind of like me. But if we're, we're still bogged down by the flesh, if we're still caught up in the same temptation over and over and over again, if, if, if we've not learned that the church 
it's not about me yet. It's because we're shallow Christians. We're in ankle deep water. He says, look, when you learn to walk in the Spirit, you learn a little bit of self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The things that, that used to consume you, the things that used to keep you in bondage, the things that when you would take one step forward and, and take two steps back, you've learned to get victory. Listen, it's impossible, and I feel like this is where a lot of you guys are. Listen, it is impossible to live a victorious Christian life in your own strength. And the reason many of you are so frustrated and at the point of just throwing in the towel and saying what the use is because you're still trying to do this thing in your own strength. Listen, God can't even begin to start to work in your life until you get out of the way. And the only thing that you have added to your salvation is your own sin. I'm not preaching a bunch of gospel of works. The Bible says this is what saving grace teaches us to do. The Bible says the grace of God that has been revealed to all men teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust that we may live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Learning to walk in the Spirit is just receiving the grace that empowers us to live godly, soberly, and righteously. Now, I know this is not a popular message, but it matters how you live. Jesus said over and over again, be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. Don't walk around like somebody that's foolish. As a matter of fact, there's some people, as you'll read about in Matthew 25, that during the time of the Lord's return, there are going to be five foolish virgins and five wise virgins who thinks, you know what? I've got enough oil in my lamp, and guess what the oil stands for? The Holy Spirit. They think that they've got enough oil in their lamp that they can wait on the Lord's return or the Master's return and still be able to have their light bright and shining when he comes. And the Bible says that they ran out of oil, they went to go get more, but while they were gone, the master of the house came, took the five wives with them, shut the door, closed the door, and the five that were at one time in the house got left on the outside. That is good preaching right there. What's that telling? You can't live off of a good experience. You can't live off of a good Sunday morning church service. You can't live off of a blessing. You can't live off of a do that. You can't live off of just religious rituals and religious rhetoric and going through the motions. You have to have a passionately pursued relationship that is up to date with God. The Bible says that they that come to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. For without faith, it's impossible to. Now notice what it says. They believe that he is. That word is is a present tense word. Not past, it's not future. Those that come before God in faith must believe presently that he is 
and that he rewards those that diligently seek him. In other words, it's important that you have an up-to-date relationship with Jesus now, do you? Or was the last time you talked to him or worshipped him or done anything for him is when you came to church last Sunday? It's quiet up in here this morning. I'm just, I'm, I taste like medicine, it'll make you better. I'm, I'm responsible for you. I, I'm responsible to share with you the truth. I'm going to stand before God one day. And I need you to know clearly, you got to have an up-to-date relationship with God. It's in, Jesus didn't say, invite me into your heart. Jesus said, follow me. Jesus didn't say come to the altar and pray a prayer. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying you can come and you can pray a prayer and just be as lost as you was the week before. Because the faith you know is the faith that you show. Faith without works is what? I got to hurry. So we see here that this is ankle deep water. Now listen, it's impossible to live sinless. But it is totally possible to sin less. There's a dirty word in the church, sin. It's impossible to live sinless. There's only one sinless man and they killed him for being sinless. And if you've committed one sin, you've broken all the commandments. Because James said if you're guilty of breaking one, you're guilty of breaking them all. If you've stolen one dollar, you're a thief for life. If you told one lie, you're a liar for life. And you have to come to a place of repentance and have that forgiven. But after you've come to Christ, you've been born again, Jesus said, let him that steal, what? Steal no more. Yes, you know what? The woman that was caught in the act of adultery, the, the, the law said she deserved to be stoned to death. But Jesus said, where are your accusers? And she said, there's no one here, Lord. He said, neither do I accuse you. Now, he did not justify or say, it's okay for you to leave and go back doing what you're doing. He didn't stop there, but we stopped telling the story there. What did he say after that? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And so... At ankle level deep, we just simply learn how to get our flesh under control. That's important. Because listen, our flesh is always going to war against our spirit. Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You have to come to a point to where you get your flesh under subjection through the power of the spirit. And he gives you self-discipline and self-control to live victoriously. Listen, sometimes it's a victory just to keep your mouth shut. You know what I'm saying? How many times have you said, I know I shouldn't say this because I know what's going to happen if I go. I wonder how many relationships were completely destroyed because they didn't have self-control. I wonder how many people have contracted the HIV AIDS virus because they don't have self-control. How many, how many adulterous relationships? How many addictions? How many damaging, detrimental things have happened 
in the lives of people simply because they've not got past step one, level one. Good news is it's possible to live above that, to live victoriously. Here's the second thing. Second thing is knee deep. The second measuring was found to have risen to the knees. The Bible says that this was water to kneel in. Listen, what does that represent in our relationship with the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit wants us to operate or wants to operate in our life? What do you do when you kneel? The Holy Spirit, listen, it took me, this was a major revelation for me. Maybe you guys have got it figured out long before me. This was a major revelation for me. I struggled to pray. I could pray. I mean, I spent years and years and years and years and years and years because I was in ministry and no pastor worth his weight and salt, you know, know, he at least prays an hour a day, right? Well, problem is, for me to pray an hour a day was torture. I could pray everything I knew to pray in five minutes or less. Can I get a witness? Everything. Listen, so I repeat the same thing except louder. Because that's what you do. You get become more and more and more religious when you're trying to pray in your own strength. I did not know, though I had read the Bible through many, 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 many times, that the purpose or one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit was to help me pray. I totally ignored that. I didn't even think about asking the Holy Spirit to help me pray. I felt like I needed to do it in my own strength, which wasn't working out well. How many have felt so bad because you made your mind up to pray and say, I'm going to pray every single day, bless God, from now on. I'm getting serious. And then you don't pray the next day, and you forgot, and you say, well, what's the use? Forget it. It's hard anyways. I don't know what I'm doing. But these were waters to kneel in. So it teaches us how to pray in the Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit is a communicator. Did you know all of the languages that we have on planet Earth that people speak? Guess where they came from? Holy Spirit. He gave animals sounds so they can communicate. I've been in Africa and places in Africa where their dialect are not words but sounds. They call it Zothro. They come, they talk, they go, literally, that's, that's how they speak. But you know what? They are able to communicate, and I don't know what you call that. I was in Mexico, and I, you, know, I, 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 you know, I speak a little bit of Spanish that I learned from Dora the Explorer. So I made, you know, I wanted to impress them. I threw a, threw a few, you know, words in Spanish out there. They said, oh, you speak Spanish. I said, no, poor, loud English. Oftentimes, they needed an interpreter for my English. And that's true. But this teaches us that, that it's important for us to learn how to, Pray in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a communicator. Listen, praying in the Spirit is simply learning to partner with God in prayer. Now, notice what this verse says here. Jude 20, 
But you, beloved, building up yourself in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, Clay hit on this just a little bit last week. And he talked about having a prayer language. That when a person prays in tongues, that that is a prayer language that the Holy Spirit gives us. Now, in all of my life, I've never been in a church service where anybody has ever talked about what it meant to pray in tongues. You know, I had no clue what that was about. I thought it was really a bunch of nonsense in the beginning because I didn't think that you could pray in the Spirit anytime you wanted to. I thought you had to have some kind of a feeling sweep over you before you could speak in tongues. I thought that what happened was when you're filled with the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of you and shakes you around and stuff like that. No joke. That's exactly the way I viewed that. And that you can only do those things when that happened to you. Well, I struggled receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I was afraid that I was going to blaspheme God. I mean, this is because I didn't come from a church background. I was afraid that I was going to blaspheme God. So I'm sitting here, and I, I felt the Holy Spirit welling up because Jesus said the Holy Spirit would be like a well springing up, and then he said in John 7 that it would be a river flowing out, right? And so I, I felt this well springing up in me. I felt like that I could, 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 could speak in tongues, but I was afraid that I would do something wrong. I was afraid that I would blaspheme God. I mean, I really did, and I thought that I would do that, and it would be over for me. So I'm sitting here, and I was at my house. Now, how many of you know Travis Fields? He's a pastor at Bethany here in Manchester. Now, me and Travis are two of the most intelligent people you've ever met. We have committed felonies together and have not got caught. Oh, there's Jeremy back there. That was back in the day. <laughs> Isn't it right, John Andrew? I mean, no, I'm not bringing you into it. I'm not bringing... We were sitting at the house. We'd just come out of a service. I was, I was scared. I was laying on my, laying on my couch, and I, I looked at Travis, and I said, man, I really feel like that I could speak in tongues right now. And Travis, being the spiritual giant and the great theologian, he says these words. Well, go ahead. So I'm sitting there, and I'm going, then he came out. And I went, oh. man, seriously, that's the first time I ever did it before. First time I'd ever done it. And he said, do it again. <laughs> that's what he said. So I did it again. He said, do it again. And so I did. And, and I'm telling you, something happened inside of me that is beyond explanation except it's found in Scripture. It says, when somebody speaks in an unknown tongue, it's not him that prays, but his spirit that is praying. Praying in the spirit gives you a direct access to God, unhindered by Satan. He says, how be it, he, what he prays is a mystery. It's not understanding in his mind, but his spirit understands what's being spoken. Now, what's happening, that's why Paul said, I will pray with my understanding. I will. At an act of my will, I will. Then he said, I will pray 
in the Spirit. I will pray without my understanding. Now, let me explain to you why it's important for us to understand what it means to pray in tongues. That's not so we can come in here and and do a bunch of hoopla stuff. This is a private prayer language that God gives each of us for the purpose of empowering us and partnering with us in prayer. Now, look at this. Go, go, Go to the next. Let me see if I got that scripture up here. It may not be up there. It's not. If you got your Bible, don't you turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. This is where the revelation of praying in the Spirit just went boom. Because remember, I'm not a good prayer. I can pray everything that I know to pray in five minutes. But yet, I know I should pray longer than five minutes, especially if I'm a prayer. How many of you would want me to pray five minutes a day? How many want me to pray 10 minutes a day? How many want me to pray for you an hour a day? Sure, everybody. But I mean, I couldn't do that. Here's what it says here. It was in the Bible the whole time, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. Now, what is our weakness? Can you throw that one up there? Is it possible? Yes. Glory. Likewise, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. Well, what's our weakness? For we do not know what we should what? As we ought. And the Lord said to me one day, he said, Donald, you can't pray. I'm going, I've spent the last five years of my life praying an hour a day to prove to you that I can. When he already knew I couldn't. So what was I doing? A bunch of repetitive words and religious babble that Jesus said, when you pray, don't do that. Anybody ever been there besides me? Who's helping us pray? For we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself, no, it say itself, himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be undergone to the next one. Now, this is how effective praying in the Spirit is. Now, he that searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for who? You. How? According to what? If all you got this morning was that one thing, I've helped you. When the Spirit prays through you, He's always interceding on your behalf accurately according to the will of God. He searches our hearts and he knows the mind of God Though we don't know what we need, he, from our heart, rivers of living water flows. Then praying in tongues begins to take place. And the Spirit directs our prayers to the will of God based exactly on what we need. Now, how many is that good at praying? I'm not that good and neither are you. So I could use some of that. As a matter of fact, I'll say this and I'm closing. You can go ahead and come. I didn't get to the third point, but I'm, it's there. But the Bible says, but you, beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. 
When you pray in the Spirit, you're building yourself up. Okay? So what's happening is encouragement's being released in your life while the Holy Spirit's helping you. When you know that the Lord is helping you, listen, you know what? It matters and it makes a difference. But not only is praying in the Spirit mentioned in Jude, mentioned in Revelation or uh, Romans chapter 8, it's also mentioned in Ephesians 6 along with the whole armor of God. Praying in the Spirit is part of the whole armor of God. Most, most people don't ever talk about it because we talk about the, you know, the, the, the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, the, 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 the helmet, the belt, you know, our loins shotted, the shoes. But he also says this, praying always in the Spirit. You can't do that. How can you pray always in the Spirit? When you just told me you couldn't pray five minutes. So he lists that in there. So what happens in knee deep water, we learned the importance of prayer. If you've never prayed in tongues before, I want to encourage you, ask God to enable you to do that. You have not for you ask not. Forget about what other people think. I just gave you Bible. And if you need to know more after this, I'll be available to talk to you. But I'm telling you this much right now. My whole entire prayer life has changed because of this one thing. I don't walk around discouraged anymore. I don't walk around feeling weak and defeated and pathetic and like a loser anymore. Listen, when I pray, listen, I, I can actually pray for a little while now. Versus five minutes and I'm done. Now here's the last thing, and that is waist-deep water. In waist-deep water, we learn how to be led by the Spirit. That word, as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. That word son in the Greek language refers to maturity. In other words, we see the progression of spiritual development. Now, it's important for you to understand there's no shortcuts in your development in God. You can't cut corners. You can't be 75% faithful and committed. You're either 100% or you're 0%. You can't give 75% of yourself today and 125% of yourself tomorrow. God wants all of us. The Holy Spirit wants you to know Him and allow Him to be in control of all of your life. And I promise you, if you can just begin to acknowledge and ask Him to start taking control of every single detail to be in your conversation, to be in your relationships, to be in your finances, to, to, to be in the, the, the struggles you're with, to be in the things that you're going through, listen, you will find out things will soon get better. They'll get easier. Because what happened... The Bible says, the man brought him through the water. That's what Isaiah said. He said, though the waters rage, I will be with you. Though the fire is consuming, it will not kindle itself upon you. And sometimes when you're going through trouble, the only way out is through 
There was no way for Job to get out of the mess that he was in. The only option for Job is to get through it. And what happens is this. When you come to a point where you learn to walk in the Spirit, you begin to pray in the Spirit. You begin to be led by the Spirit. The Bible says that God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And God will make a way of an escape, but we've got to take that way of escape. But if we're not being led by the Spirit, we won't even know that the escape door is right there in front of us. Or we'll give up right before we finish across the finish line. Stand with me. So we have, we see the source of the river, the course of the river, the different levels of the Spirit that the Lord brings us through. The last thing is, is the force of the river. Notice this. And again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not cross. For the water was too deep, water in which one must swim in. God wants to bring us to the point to where we are so in over our head with him, the force of the Holy Spirit takes us to where he intends for us to go. Now, this is not something that we're out of control in our own self. But I can tell you this much, you can't fight against the current. Jesus said to, to, to Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. But what happens is, how many have been in the lazy river? In the lazy river, you're on this float, and the current just takes you around and around and around. But here's the thing. God has called each of you to do incredible things. Far greater than you've even imagined. He said, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you think or ask according to the power that's at work within you. Think of the greatest thing that you could ask and God can do exceedingly above that. And as a matter of fact, you've not even begun to tap into what is possible until you've attempted to do what is impossible. And that's what, it's, what makes it exciting about serving God. Many of us, we, we stay in the shallow end, the safe end, because we don't want to get in over our heads because, you know what, we're uncomfortable in that area. Or maybe, you know what, you're in the shallow end because you've not learned to swim. It's okay. You crawl, walk, and then you run. But I can tell you this much. I believe with all of my heart the Lord is speaking to us corporately and individually and saying, listen, evaluate where you're at right now. What level of water are you walking in? Are you in the ankle deep? Are you in the knee deep? Are you in the waist deep? What's your next step? Where's that next level? And will you respond? Because listen, I've got so much more for you that you've not yet even begun to tap into. I'm not done, but I'm finishing. But in the Bible, the Bible's full of rivers. It talks about rivers. The Bible says in Psalms 46, 7, that there is a river that makes glad the city of God, whose tabernacle is in heaven, whose throne is the Almighty. 
there's rivers. Revelation chapter 22 says that flowing from the throne of God is a river. And as that river flows, wherever the river flows, there's life. What was the impact of the river in Ezekiel 46? Wherever the river flows, there's life. But a river that's not flowing is stagnant. And stagnant water kills. But flowing water brings life. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, Revelation 22, he says, He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit and the bride say. The Spirit and the bride say, Come! You're waiting on a word for God? Here's a word from God. Come! I don't care where you're at. Come! I don't care what you're going through. Come! I don't care if you doubt. Come! I don't care if you're hurt. Come! I don't care if you're confused. Come! I don't care if you're defeated. Come! I don't care if you're frustrated. Come! I don't care if you're discouraged. Come! I don't care if you are about to give up. Come! The Spirit of the bride says, come! And he who thirsts, come! Let him come! Let him drink of the waters of life freely! God wants to open up the river that's inside of you so that every person that I just listed right then, as that river flows out of you, life flows out of you. Imagine that everywhere you go, that river flows and life comes out. You know what the Bible goes on to say in that, in that same chapter? It says that there were many multitude of fish. The fish will go where the river flows. The fish will go where the river flows. And when there is a river flowing out of you, God will make you fishers of men because there's a world that's dying and thirsty and they're in desperate need of life. And he says, come, come. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that if you were to die today, stand before God, that you don't know if you would go to heaven or you would go to hell. Or if you know that you're not right with God and you need to make things right with God, the Spirit of God is saying, come, come. For those of you that are there, is their life flowing out of you or is the water that's in you stagnant? The source of the river is at the altar. And if you've not been to the altar in a while, I would encourage you to go there today. Because the pathway to greater things begins at the altar. There's nothing to be afraid of. That's where the river starts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. I pray, God, that you would draw people to yourself. That, Lord, that you would break open that which has been dammed up on the inside. And that, God, that you would cause the river to was once flowing and teeming with life, that there would just be a breakthrough in their spirit and in their mind, in their relationship with you, in their life, God. And as you call them to come, as they respond to that call to come, that, God, as they make their way to you, that things begin to break off of them in the name of Jesus. As they sing and as they play, if you need to make things right with God, if God's speaking to you this morning, 
There's an altar right here for you. And that's where the river flows in Jesus' name.